Good morning, everyone. Luke chapter 8. Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God itself is such a, a wonderful, beautiful, and, and full topic. Recall that in this day and age, the Jews are looking for a Messiah to come and to usher in a kingdom rule that would be under the Messiah. The Jews are being oppressed by the Roman Empire. They're back in Jerusalem, and they are worshiping God at the temple in Jerusalem, but they are not in power. They are not in charge of the land. They're, they're, they're simply just subjects of the Roman Empire, but they're allowed under Roman rule to worship God. But part prior to the deportation, you know, 500 years earlier, when they were in Jerusalem, and unfortunately they failed to honor God well, and as a result, God allowed the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar to deport uh, Israel to Babylon, and they lost their country at that time. Amazingly, you know, Israel from 500-ish BC all the way until, what, 1948 wasn't a country, and then became a country again, which is quite amazing. But anyways, they were looking for a ruler to come and reestablish their kingdom. And Jesus is coming proclaiming the kingdom of God. But what they're not understanding is that he's bringing about a spiritual kingdom now. He's bringing about a rule of the human heart through faith in Jesus. After the cross and his resurrection, he's going to allow his Holy Spirit to come and be with the church and those who believe with him always. And that's going to be his spiritual kingdom. And we're supposed to, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to live for God's kingdom now as it is in heaven. But one day the Jews are right in that God is coming back. Jesus is coming back again. And he will establish his rule, and there will be the fullness of his kingdom that's going to take place after the tribulation in the millennium, the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ on earth, and then all the way through to the end in eternity. In between the end of the millennium, the 1,000-year reign, and the eternal new heaven and new earth, uh, all evil, including the devil, is finally going to be thrown into the lake of fire, and then there will be eternity. But all of the millennium and then into the eternity is really the kingdom of God that the Jews were looking for, but they didn't anticipate this mystery, it's called, of the church age, where everyone, non-Jewish, who would place their trust in Jesus, and Jews who would place their trust in Jesus, would develop the church and live for Jesus Christ spiritually until he comes again. That was a mystery to them. So there's your discussion on the kingdom of God. So we're we're living for the kingdom now, but it's not fully here. It will be here when he comes again. The twelve are with him, so Jesus is with his twelve apostles, and also some women. And praise God for these women and <clears throat> for the gifts of women. And women, you know, uh, are such great uh, gifted. They have great giftedness, and they bring so much even to Jesus' ministry they want to help them any way they can. And, you know, when you get women together, they just know how to get stuff done. And also some women who 
had been healed, and you know they're grateful to God because of what the ministry that Jesus has done for them. But they have been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Hera's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So apparently they had some wealth, even these women, and they were providing for Jesus and the apostles. I mean, think about it. They were going around, you know, the world, known world or, you know, that region and proclaiming the kingdom of God, but they didn't have jobs or income. So these women are helping to provide, you know, for them food-wise and things like that. Uh, so praise God for how, you know, makes me think uh, we have at our church a women's ministry event tomorrow and there's like 70 women coming, you know, praise God for, or no, 56 women, excuse me. Uh, we were trying to challenge them to get 70, I think, but they're doing an amazing job. And uh, it's awesome to see women growing in Christ together in our church body. But anyways, when a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by the way of a parable. This is a really a profound parable that Jesus is about to speak. He uh, it's recorded in both Matthew and Mark. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as it grew up, it withered because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And other seed fell into the good soil, and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That That is such a powerful phrase, you know. Everyone's got ears, but are you really hearing, right? And sometimes it takes some time, some thought, some concentration, some effort, in order to really get what Jesus is trying to teach. The other thing that's really interesting, and I'll be brief on this, but uh, I'm preaching through the book of Revelation at our church right now, and each of the seven letters to the seven churches in the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation, it has this same phrase, or almost, it has an additional statement. But it says in those seven letters, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, in, in that in those letters, in Revelation, it says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, why does it say that then, in those letters, uh, what the Spirit says to the churches, and why doesn't it say that here? Well, the church hasn't begun yet. The church did not begin until after Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, and then really, 50 days later on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came to live inside of those who believe, that's the dawn of the church. And after that, especially with the preaching of the Apostle Paul, churches are being planted. Um, and now we have churches. So in Revelation, which is some 60 years written after the death and resurrection of Jesus, when this phrase given from Jesus to the Apostle John to those seven churches he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Because there's churches. It's the church age. What's really interesting, though, is this phrase returns 
he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that phrase returns in the tribulation. I believe, I don't have it in front of me right now, but I believe it's in, in Revelation chapter 13. That's what I'm recalling right now. And what's interesting is in Revelation 13, that phrase comes up again. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But after seven times prior, the same exact phrase, what the Spirit says to the churches in the tribulation, it just says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And it doesn't say what the Spirit says to the churches, just like it says now. Well, in Luke 8, there's no church. And I believe the reason that it doesn't say what the Spirit says to the churches in the middle of the tribulation is because there's no church there either. The church has been raptured, and the church isn't in the tribulation. Now, there will be people that are going to come to Christ during the tribulation, and we'll see that as we go through the book of Revelation. But I believe that's why it doesn't say it here, and it doesn't say it then, but it does say seven different times to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Moving on. His disciples began questioning him as to you know the parable that he just spoke, what the parable meant. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, he's quoting uh, the book of Isaiah there, and it, it's mentioned a lot, this phrase, because it's really important. You know, there's so many people's hearts that are hardened, and so many people who don't want to put effort. And the Bible says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And there's something that takes place in the human heart when we say, you know what, I want to understand, and I want to know God, and I want to study and come to know him. And and that person is rewarded with understanding and with faith. But when someone's like just not really interested and they're going through the motions, it's basically like they have eyes, but they really don't see. And they have ears, but they really don't hear. Their hearts are hardened. And sometimes a parable, it requires someone to think. It requires someone to put forth effort. It it establishes whether someone's really trying to seek God or not. And if they're not, they'll miss it. They'll miss out on the understanding. But if they'll pause and if they'll say, God, I want to know you and I want to understand you, then they will begin to understand through the parable, it requires effort. It requires a sincere interest to know God. Now, in this particular case, uh, not always the case, but in this case, Jesus really spells out the meaning of the parable for them. So that's what we get in verse 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Now, Jesus is going around you know, that region, and he's basically spreading his seed. And the crowds are following. There's crowds there. The Pharisees are there. His disciples are there. The women were there. And he he's just throwing his seed out. He's throwing the word of God out. And we're seeing what happens with the word of God that's going out. And God's like that. You know, the word goes out to the world. And the world has an opportunity to come to Christ and to receive that word. But is their heart hard or are they willing to seek? So, that's what's happening is this, the word's going out and it's going out to all places and all areas and it's it's finding places where it can grow. And we'll, in, in the condition of the soil is really the condition of the human heart. So as the word falls on different humans, how are they responding to the word? And that's what we'll see here as we move on. Those beside the road, see the people that are like the road are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart 
so that they will not believe and be saved. So these people, apparently, uh, they heard the word, but they're so hardened, it doesn't penetrate, and they never accepted the word. Those on the rocky soil are those who, who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. Apparently, the condition of their soil was at first, they're like, oh, wow, this sounds great. But they just didn't stick with it. There's nothing firm there. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. So, you know, it's interesting. I've done lots of ministry in different settings. You know, uh, I was a youth minister for many years. And I saw a lot of youth respond to the gospel and come to Christ and come forward for altar calls and come forward for baptism. And, you know, we celebrate that. We praise God when people make a decision for Jesus Christ. But what I've learned over the years is that what really gets excite me is when I see them develop and mature and when I see them begin to bear fruit because there are people who respond to the gospel and they respond with joy at first, but something's just not right. They don't, they don't seek, they don't continue, they don't read the word, they go home and the temptations of you know adolescenthood or whatever just right away they're back to being the old people. And uh, that's an interesting question, right? Well, maybe their decision wasn't sincere. Maybe they were never saved to begin with. Or maybe they did receive it with joy, but, you know, it just, they, they fell away because of temptation. Now, you know, it, it depends on your theology, right? And, and And I don't come to Scripture with, like, I have to believe it a certain way. I just take it for what it is, and sometimes there's a mystery. So what, what are those people? Were they saved or were they not? I actually don't know, and I don't, I don't need to know. I just know I don't want it to be me, and I don't want it to be the people that I'm ministering to. We want to see people who come to Christ and come forward to receive the gospel, stick with it, and come to maturity. I just know that I get more excited when I see people coming to maturity, when I see people begin to live for Jesus, when I see that uh, people begin to bear fruit. I love seeing that. I love seeing a response to the gospel, but I've learned to be even more excited when I see people take the next step in their journey and begin to become mature. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. So these people last a little longer, but, you know, when we say a tree is mature when it bears fruit. I'm talking about a natural tree in the yard or a plant. It becomes mature when it actually produces what it was designed to do. And we are designed to live for God and to bear fruit for him. And these people bring forth no fruit. And uh, a tree is known by its fruit. I would not want anyone I love to be these people uh, that ha- haven't matured. They seem to have accepted Christ, but they just have not matured. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. And, you know, it's echoed all throughout the scriptures. I teach on it a lot. Faith is not a one-time thing. Faith's not a one-time decision. Faith is a lifetime decision. And it's so important that you see the need to not only come to Christ, to repent, to be baptized, to place your faith in him. But God 
wants you to stick with him all the way to the end. And he does help with that, but we have a responsibility to hold it fast, hold this faith that God has given us and bear fruit, come to maturity, and then to persevere, to stick with it all the way to the end. And I believe that's what helps make a solid, mature Christian is a solid, mature teaching that there's a responsibility on our part to not just make faith a one-time decision, but a lifetime decision. And I believe that's what God's pleased with, and that's what I get most excited about. And I want to just continue to follow God all the way and serve Him and bear fruit for Him all the way until He brings me home. Hallelujah. No one, Now no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but He puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. And that's why we have lamps, so that we can see. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. You know, eventually God God knows. God knows even now what's going on. He knows what's going on in our lives. So take care how you listen. Now think about that. Take care how you listen. Take care how you hear the Word of God. Take care how you listen to preaching. Take care how you study the Word. Take care what you come to know. For whoever has to him more shall be given. And as you mature, you're going to get more and you're going to bless more and you're going to bear more fruit. But whoever does not have, those who aren't really listening, who aren't really sincere, even what he thinks he has shall be taken away from him. Well, that, that let's just let it be for what it is. That's what it says. And his mother and brothers came to him and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers, and those who hear the word, excuse me. He answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Wow, what a word. Now, you might recall that, you know, James, Jesus' brother, served Jesus, served the church, you know, after Jesus' death. Jesus' mother was there all the way to the cross, and Jesus um, took care of his mom through the Apostle John and asked John to care for his mother. So it's not that Jesus didn't love his family, but they're actually not following him as fully. Maybe his mother did, but his brothers don't seem to totally get it until after the death and resurrection of Jesus. But he's saying that those who hear the word of God and do it, and again, how does that fit your theology? <laughs> you know, are, are you living out the word of God? That's who his brothers and mothers are, are those who hear the word of God and do it. And again, I don't come to the to the Bible with some kind of doctrine or theology or denomination or something that says I have to believe it only within the confines of some kind of particular doctrine or theology. And I'm telling you, Scripture is just more beautiful when you take what Jesus is saying. If you want to be the brother or mother or sister of Jesus, hear the word of God and do it. Hallelujah. Now, on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out, but as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up. He was sleeping. I think that's all for the drama of the moment to kind of like, you know, he, this is going to be very memorable. Of course, it made scripture, right? Master, master, we are perishing. 
And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and and they stopped, and it became calm. That had to be just astounding to see Jesus do that. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? <laughs> well, Jesus was God. He was Emmanuel. He was God with us. And that's just a, even if he was with you, that's just an astounding thing to think about, that we have God walking among us right now, living us with us in the same boat. But at times he showed them his glory and his power, and they were just in awe. Hallelujah. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house, but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? And isn't it amazing? We see this often when Jesus comes across a demon. They know who he is. You know, even the demons believe in tremble, but you've got to accept him as your Lord and Savior and then follow him. And 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 But they, they recognize the spirit of this man. I beg you, do not, he said, I beg you, do not torment me, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now listen to that. They the many demons were imploring him, Jesus, not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now, what we it, we believe, though, it, this is interesting, that people, when they die, go to Sheol uh, in, in the Old Testament days. So th- remember, the church isn't, isn't existed here. But there's actually... More than one place of Sheol, there's a positive side of Sheol, and there's a negative side of Sheol. And later on, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, I believe that the Old Testament saints who were in the positive side of Sheol got moved up to heaven, and the other people stayed in the lower regions of Sheol. Now, in the lower part of Sheol, the negative side, the hell side of Sheol, which isn't the final hell. The final hell is going to come at the lake of fire. So it's like a temporary hell waiting for the final hell. But there even appears to be a lowest part of the negative side of Sheol, the, 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 uh, like a, a, a worse part of a temporary hell. Remember, the final hell comes at the lake of fire that we read about in the book of Revelation. And they were imploring him, Jesus, not to command them to go into the lowest, most horrific part of the temporary hell that existed at that time. So that's what they're asking. And for whatever reason, Jesus, I I, I don't know where they went after this. For whatever reason, he doesn't send them there now. Uh, So now there was a herd of many swine feeding them on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave permission. Now, maybe they thought by going into the swine, it was going to be better 
than going to the lowest part of Sheol and facing the torment there. And maybe they go there anyways. Maybe Jesus kind of like, okay, you want to go into these swine, but you're still going to end up where you don't want to end up. That very well may be. We don't know for sure, but listen to what it says. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. And so they, they, they drowned, and maybe maybe then they still ended up in the place that they didn't want to end up. Um, that very well may be. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and, and out of the country. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Here's this man who is demon-possessed. Now he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And you know what? That was the right place to be, at the feet of Jesus. And praise God, you all who are listening are getting up and spending time with Jesus and in the Word. And you're sitting at the feet of Jesus by 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 learning his Word. Hallelujah. Clothed and in his right mind. <laughs> now he's 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 been healed. Hallelujah. And they became frightened, like, man, this guy, not only does he make the waves go away in the sea, but he can cast demons out of people and and give them back their right mind. Hallelujah. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. I mean, they were astounded. Jesus continues to astound. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. And he got into a boat and returned, but the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. Hallelujah. And you know what? When God has done great things for us, we should be returning to those and telling people what God has done for us. That's our testimony. And that is supposed to be something as Christians we share with others what God has done for us. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Have you told people what God has done for you? Do it today. Do it this week. Share with others what God has done for you. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue and fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house, for he had only he had an only daughter, about twelve years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him, and a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, and for I was aware that power had gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him. What a glorious thing. And declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Hallelujah. She came and touched him, and, and God has power, and he has power to heal, and he healed this woman. And you know what? He, he does all this. You know who he does this all for? He does this all for his disciples, for the people of that day, so that they would have faith in him, so that his apostles would live 
for him after his death and resurrection. And you know what? He does it for us too. He does it to increase our faith. Hallelujah. Jesus is astounding. I'm so grateful to be following the Messiah, the Lord, the giver of life. Jesus, the man from Nazareth, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, our Lord and Savior. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official, that Jairus, your daughter has died, do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. <laughs> There's power in believing, and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter him except Peter and John and James. Now, you may have heard that Jesus had the 12 apostles, but he also had an inner circle of three. And at times they got the benefit of closer proximity to Jesus. And this is one of those times that, you know, it's hard to bring these rooms and houses may not have always been large. And instead of bringing everybody in with him, he chose his inner circle, Peter, John, and James. And, you know, it's good to have an inner circle. It's good to have some people that you are intimately close with. Um, so he brings Peter, John, and James in, and the girl's father and mother. Now, they were all weeping and lamenting for her. But he said, stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And I think he means she she very well may, was dead, I believe, or likely was dead. But, but he's saying, she's not dead to me, and, and I'm going to raise her. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. Laughing, that's interesting. Wow. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Isn't that interesting? He's caring for her physical needs right away after he raises her from the dead. Her parents were amazed. Can you imagine having your child die and see Jesus walk into her room and have her come alive again? Hallelujah. But he instructed them, to tell no one what had happened. Jesus is still trying to protect his season of time of ministry, which is going to come to an end after three years. But if things don't get handled rightly, it could have happened quicker. But yet Jesus is destined to die, and it's going to happen on Passover after three years of ministry. And some of this instruction was to ensure that God would get Jesus to die on the day that he wanted him to die and not sooner than was necessary. Amazing, incredible things that we've seen in the Gospel of Luke today from our Lord and Savior Jesus. May we, he's worthy of us following him. He is, there's no one like him. And he's worthy of us following him and holding our faith in him all the way to the end, persevering and living to bear fruit of God. Hear the word of God and do it because he is worthy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us an opportunity to be your son and your daughter by faith. We're grateful to be children of God. May you guide us and help us, God, to live with you all the way until you come and get us again. Hallelujah and amen.